I'll begin with the inscription, which reads this way. To the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle. Selah. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. And none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You yourself are to be feared. And, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. And God arose to judgment, or when God arose to judgment, to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Selah. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him, who are around him, bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. And Father, we pray that as we dig into this psalm tonight, that you will teach us, that your spirit would be poured out upon us to be our teacher, to lead us into your truth, to magnify and glorify the name of Jesus. And Lord, give us understanding on how we're to respond to the truths here in this psalm, how we are to live, even how we are to think because of it, Lord. So God, have your way. We love you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we look at the 76th Psalm tonight, we, we do see in the inscription that it is a psalm of Asaph. He, he calls it a song. Uh, and uh, even as we saw in the 75th Psalm, uh, much the same in the inscription, and um, we would take note that the 75th and the 76th Psalms are similar in the sense of each of them being written by Asaph. We did share last week that it does appear that this could have been written and most likely was written by uh, some of the house of Asaph or uh, some of his descendants. The, the 75th was, as well as the 76th, uh, because of the content of it. It, it, it is agreed among uh, uh, researchers that both of these psalms probably were written at the time in which uh, the Lord gave the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, into the hands of of Judah, and that would have been King Hezekiah at that time, 1 Kings 19. Um, both of these psalms written at about that time. A, a difference between the two is that Psalm 75, uh, that, that brings honor and glory and praise to the Lord for his righteous judgment, 
here in Psalm 76, there's a little bit different uh, uh, emphasis, and this is not s simply on the, or not on the, for the righteous of God, righteousness of God, but for His Majesty, for His greatness. So one Psalm written to celebrate the righteousness of God in His judgments, and this one uh, written to celebrate the Majesty, the the power, the magnificence of God as He brings judgments. And when we speak about him bringing judgments, uh, that was an emphasis of last, last week in Psalm 75. Here it's more the emphasis on the work of God, the deliverance of God in his majesty. And one thing we need to remember is that when God does deliver his people, and, and you know, especially as we look at the, the context of this, if this, is, if this indeed was written after Sennacherib was, was, was um, uh, defeated by uh, uh, Judah, then what we see God doing is bringing judgment on another nation, on another king, while he is at the same time giving deliverance to his own people. So if God is going to deliver his people, then he's got to bring judgment against those who are oppressing them. So the two work hand in hand, right? Deliverance and judgment will work hand in hand in this sense. And it's the same for us guys. I mean, you know, our, as, as Christians, as, as, as followers of Christ, as believers, it's not so much that there are a group of people or another nation that is our enemy, you know, it is Satan and his realm, the, the demonic realm, and, and their work in the world, their work against us. That's, that's our enemy. We, we, don't do, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the demonic realm, as, as Paul writes in Ephesians. But in his deliverance of us from the hole that, that the powers may have in our lives, whether it's through uh, addiction to, uh, to, to something, uh, some, some captivity of some kind, or uh, problems that we have in our, in our lives, issues, whatever it may be, God is delivering us by that same power by which he delivered the people of Israel from their enemies as well. So they just kind of go hand in hand. So we see here as we begin in verse 1, in Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle. And so as we look at these first three verses, we see that, that, that the, the writer here, uh, likely a descendant or maybe a couple gathering together to write this, uh, begin to praise God in saying that in Judah, God is known. And the idea of this is that with the victory that has been won, with the deliverance that has been given, there is a fresh new understanding of who God is, a fresh revelation of his love for his people, his protection uh, for his people, his deliverance of his people, and the power with which he does so. That's the idea that we have here. God is known. He's revealed through his work. And 
this most recent work of deliverance from Sennacherib would be what is being referred to. And his name is great in Israel. Now, as we see that this is written, his name is great, he's known and his name is great. His name is being recognized as great as he continues to reveal his love for his people and the might or the power by which he delivers them. As we consider what God has done for us guys, there's always a beginning point for us, right? Always a beginning point. That is the reality of the salvation that he's given to us. And we can say with the writer of this psalm, God is great here amongst us. God is great for us because of the deliverance that he's given us from the, the power of sin. He's, he's given us life. And so that's something that we always want to be going back to. And in fact, tonight being a night in which we're going to be celebrating communion, we're going to be remembering that tonight uh, uh, at the end of the service as we celebrate communion together. It's a time of remembrance. It's one of those memorials that we might say. You know, we, we celebrate the work of God. That's always our starting place. But thank God that he doesn't stop there. That's the most important thing. And that is the first thing, the first place that we go. But he has, he has poured out countless blessings upon our lives. Now, I've been walking with the Lord now for almost, well, it's been for over 49 years now. Next July of next year, it'll be 50 years of, of, of walking with Jesus. You know, and, and over this nearly half a century, God's done a lot of things for me. He's blessed me in incredible ways, you know, uh, beyond salvation. You know, just I, I just think about the many blessings he's given. You know, my, my precious wife, you know, uh, over 50 years of marriage with her. You know, I just, what, what a wonderful, wonderful life we've had. Three, three children who, who love the Lord. Grandchildren who are being raised loving the Lord. Um, I would ask you to continue to pray for my oldest grandson, my oldest grandchild, Josiah, who's still, he, he's... He's not walking with the Lord yet. But we're convinced that he will. Just a matter of time. I, I was sharing with uh, one of my friends. In fact, I, was, I had uh, a lunch on yesterday with, uh, with Chuck Woolley. Um, out, uh, uh, we meet halfway. We meet in Banning and, and have a meal together once in a while. But uh, I was just sharing with him about Josiah and, and just that uh, I asked him to be praying for him. Uh, saying, I, I told him, I said, you know, I'm convinced, bro, that he's going to come to the Lord. I, I'm just concerned about what he's going to have to go through, you know, before he does, or what the Lord, what he has to go through, the Lord might use to cause him to be finally bow his knee to Jesus, you know, just understanding who the Lord is and his own need for him, and all, you know, those kinds of things. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know, that, that's my concern, but uh, the Lord has blessed us incredibly. And I'm sure that he's blessed you in many, many, many ways as well. 
but might his name be known as great by us for the things that he's done. And just simply because of his own greatness, but we'll talk about that just in a little bit. In verse 2 here, we see in Salem or in Jerusalem. Whenever we see Salem in the Old Testament, it's a city of Jerusalem. You know, uh, Salem was the capital of the Jebusites. And when you combine those two word words, somehow the B became the R in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, the city became known by, by that. But uh, it's talking about Jerusalem. Of course, Zion, the, the place of his dwelling. And it is from there we see in verse 3 that God broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle, as, as the reference is made to the battle against the Assyrians. Now, it wasn't, the battle did not take place in Jerusalem. Uh, the, 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 the battle did not take place on the outskirts of Jerusalem in the Judean hills, but not that far away. But from there, God just spoke the word, and the battle was won. The battle is his, right? I mean, that's the idea that there. God, where he resides, in his dwelling place, he doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to go. He doesn't have to be on the site. I mean, God's presence is everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? But we see in the Old Testament that as the people of Israel would go out to battle, they would take the Ark of the Covenant and believing that God was with them as they went. And that, that was the, the standard that they used. Um, but God doesn't have to move. He doesn't have to be anywhere. I mean, it, it reminds us of, 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 of Jesus when the centurion, the centurion's daughter was sick and, and dying, and, and he sent word to Jesus saying to him, uh, please, uh, 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 my, my daughter is sick, you know, and, uh, but you don't have to come, just say the word. Just say the word, I know she'll be, she'll be healed, right? And that was one of those cases where Jesus said, I've not found such faith in all of Israel as this uh, Roman centurion had. But, Comforting to know, though, that God's presence is with us. He's told us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we don't have to say, you don't have to come, Lord. He's already with us. <laughs> He's already here. You know, we, we already have his presence. So that, that's just a cool thing that we have as, as believers today in, in that regard. But... The writer calls for a moment of just thinking this through, Selah. Stop and pause and just think about this for a moment. Think about the victories that God has won for us. Think about the way that he has worked in our lives. Think about the blessings that he's provided. Oh yeah, we've had our difficult times, we've had our issues, we've had our problems, we've had our you know, we got the, the, the hills as well as the valleys and all of that. We, we, we do. And that's a, just a part of living in this world, right? But just think. Think. You know, as we were celebrating Thanksgiving this past week, 
you know, as a church on Thursday morning as we gather together, and some, we, we, we heard some wonderful stories about the way that God has been working in the lives of people within our fellowship. But uh, one of the things I shared is that, uh, and I think more than once uh, I, I shared that, you know, we, we shouldn't have to wait until a national holiday called Thanksgiving to just kind of think about the things that God has done. It should be something we're doing all the time. You know, thanking God continually for the works that he's done. That's going to keep us, when we're thankful, and when we really are thankful, it's going to keep us in an attitude of, of, of joy. We're going to be joyful when we're thankful. Because we, we know we're, we're recognizing the, the goodness and the 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 generosity and the way that God wants to bless us in, in so many ways. And so uh, I, I, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing to do. But we see also in verse 3 here, not, not just simply the location there, he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword of battle. We, we, we see, that, that we, we see some, some specifics on, on what he actually did. And, and it reminds us of Psalm 46. And Psalm 46, 9. David writing this psalm, he said, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Uh, very similar words. Uh, we, we see David writing in the 46th psalm the things that God does. And here in the 76th psalm, the descendant of Asaph writing, this is what God has done for us. Same thing. But then we see in that 46th Psalm, the following verse, verse 10. You know, I, I can't read verse 9 of Psalm 46 and not read verse 10. I just can't do it. Verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. Because God does this, we're to be still and know that he's God. And God is speaking to us here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he's telling us in, in the warfare that we go through, the battles that we face, the difficulties that we have, the problems that need to be solved, is be still. It's not that we don't do anything, but we worship him. We, we don't try to act before we've actually praised him and worshiped him and sought, sought him out. Be still and know that I'm God. Let's just let God be God. He'll direct us. But let him be God. Too many times we take a step before he's even directed us. Well, it's got to do something. Well, no, we don't. Because if we feel that way, we're feeling, we, we must be sensing that we're the only ones that can solve this problem. We have our, our God who will do that, right? He's the one who's going to go before us. So let's worship and let's just be still, know that he's God and, and, and exalt him in our own hearts. And in verse 4 here, back in Psalm 76, you are more glorious and excellent. Now, now, now we, we see the praise really building up here. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. Speaking about 
the, the, the soldiers, the army that, that was defeated. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. When David was facing Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of the things that he told him is, is that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And, and the Lord will defeat our Goliaths. He'll defeat the Assyrian army for Israel as we allow him to do battle. But often the way that he does battle isn't a way that we think battle ought to be fought. You know, we as believers, we as followers of Jesus, we do battle on our knees, don't we? That's our, we, 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 we fall on our knees and cry out to him and allow him to lead us and guide us. And he might tell us to do something that we think is silly, like the, the way that Joshua and the people of Israel perhaps felt when the Lord told him, don't do anything but march around the city once a day for a while, six days. Seventh day, do it seven times. Then everybody just blow their horns. How's that going to defeat them? Well, that's one of those things that, you know, makes me, makes me think of uh, Isaiah 55. Eight and nine, that the uh, the thoughts of God and His ways are as high above our thoughts and our ways as the heavens are above the earth. You know, and it's like, you know, when are we going to start? When, when are we going? When are we going to stop trying to figure God out? Well, wait a minute, God, that's not going to work. Like we know more than he does, <laughs> right? Of course we don't. We'll say that we don't, but then we act like we do. I mean, really, isn't it true? Any act of disobedience is like that. We we know better than him. You know, Lord, and I know it's going to really bring satisfaction to my heart. You don't. I'm going to do this instead of what you're saying. You know? Oh, we, we have to be careful about that. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. Psalm 8.1 O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. This word translated glorious is one that speaks about shining or illuminating or igniting. It speaks of brightness and splendor. In Daniel chapter 3, this is a few hundred years after, um, well actually, maybe about 100, 150 years after uh, the events that we see in 1 Kings 19, Daniel chapter 3, in this passage in which uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had uh, 
and made an idol that he commanded everyone would bow down and worship whenever they would hear the Babylonian worship team start playing. And of course, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow before that idol. And so in his anger, he cast them into the fiery furnace. Heated up the furnace seven times its normal heat. These soldiers who cast them in were burnt to a crisp. Casting them in, the fire was so hot. And then Nebuchadnezzar noticed that there were four men walking around in the heat of this furnace. Verse 24 and 25 of Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Now, okay, four men walking in the midst. Three elite soldiers were killed from the blast that came out of the furnace. It was so hot. But there were four men just walking around inside it. I mean, how much, I mean, how, how much that must have just blown them away. Anyway, just seeing that. They're not bound anymore. And then he goes on and says, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Or that could be read, rather than a son, the Son of God, a Son of the gods. In the language, that could have been what he was saying. But we know that that, did, that was indeed the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was walking with them in that fire. But he kept them from harm. Now, as he noticed these four men, he, he states that there's something different about this, this fourth man in there, something different that caused him to say that he... He looks like a, a, a son of the gods. Something about him. What, what, what was it that he saw? He had to see the very glory of God. If that's what this is, if he saw the very glory of God, it's the, just the brightness, the, shine, the, the shining of the brightness of the glory of God, which basically outshone the intense flame inside that furnace. And if they heated up that furnace seven times normal and the blast of the heat killed those, three, killed those soldiers who threw them in, I mean, how bright was that fire, the flame within, right? But, but Jesus outshone that flame, his glory. In fact, we see in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23, John writing about the glory of the new Jerusalem. He wrote, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. 
Think about that, guys. You know how we're told that whenever a... Well, I mean, we're, we're taught from childhood. Don't look at the sun. Don't, don't look at the sun for an extended period of time. I mean, you, you can look, but look away. I mean, any period, any period of time, you're going to hurt your eyes. You're going to mess, mess your eyes up. Because the brightness is just simply too bright. How is it that we're going to survive with Jesus in, as we are going to see him without the veil of a human body, going to see him in all of his glory as he shines brighter than the sun? Well, thankfully, we're going to be, we're going to have new bodies. <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to have bodies that are fitted for heaven, and there's going to be something about our eyes that rather than turning away from him because of the brightness of the glory that we don't want to burn, hurt our eyes, but we'll be able to just look upon him, gaze upon him, stare at him. Because our body will be fitted for eternity. And that's the eternal state. We're going to be in his presence. I mean, and, and so, so, so when we see these words here in Psalm 76, you are more glorious. I mean, that's the idea of this word. His glory shining brightly. You know, the, the three apostles, Peter, James, and John, got a sense of it on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before them. But not the fullness of it in any way. But we will sometime soon. So the writer says, you're more glorious, you are more excellent than the mountains of prey. The, the excellence of God that speaks of his, his, his majesty, his might, his magnificence. That's what that that's the idea behind that. Charles Spurgeon wrote, but the but the Lord is glorious in holiness, and his terrible deeds are done in justice for the defense of the weak and the deliverance of the enslaved. Mere power may be glorious, but it is not excellent. When we behold the mighty acts of the Lord, we see a perfect blending of the two qualities. The, the idea of, of of the power. As, as well as the glory, the, the deliverance that comes. And, and this, this idea of the mountains of prey that follows this, more glorious than the mountains of prey. That word prey, it, it, it really could be speaking of the mountains of spoil. From the pulpit commentary, um, we, we find these words, more than the mountains of prey, or perhaps from the mountains of spoil. That is, from Jerusalem, where the spoils of the Assyrians are laid up, and where thou sittest and rulest. And then he, he uh, uh, quotes from, or alludes to a couple of uh, men, Professors Shane and Canon Cook. Um, the idea of the, of the spoils... 
And the, the glory that is seen in the spoils of war, the glory comes to the nation and to the king of the nation that defeats the enemy and brings back the spoils of war. And so those spoils, as they mount up and mount up and they're placed into the storehouses of the kingdom, you know, and the king might go in there once in a while or maybe a select few can go in and just view all of these things that they've taken, you know, all of, of the... Uh, all of the items of, of, of great cost and wealth and the, the, the jewels and so forth, the gold, whatever it may be, you know, that they've brought back because of the, the spoils of war. And as those spoils mount up, more and more glory comes to the kingdom. More and more glory comes to the nation, to the king himself. And, and what the writer is saying here is that as glorious as that is among men, that God's glory is greater than that. It's not just about all the stuff. We might be amazed at that. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, may, maybe Hezekiah arranged for some tours of the storehouses so people can come in and see all the, all the glory. Come to the nation. Look at all this stuff that we've got. Set up, set up a museum of, of sorts, you know. These are the things that were won in the battle against Sennacherib, you know. And then, you know, I mean, that kind of, I don't know if they did that or not. I'm just imagining. But I could see people doing that kind of a thing. Because we glory in our own victories. Um, but the Lord's glory is greater than that, as I described just a few moments ago. It's not because of what he's done. It's because of who he is. And the, the brightness of his glory in and of itself. If he does nothing, of course, because he's so glorious, he will do things. But even if he did nothing, just to, just to behold his glory is enough. And it's greater than anything that any man could, could gather around himself to, to show his own glory. Men do glory in their own wealth, don't they? Perhaps none of us in, our, in this room can do that. <laughs> but men will do that. Men will do that. The stout-hearted, verse 5, were, were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. So this is a reference to the, 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 the army of the defeated. They were plundered, uh, sunk into their sleep. None of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. Um, Jeremiah 51, verse 57, we see God speaking through Jeremiah, saying, And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, and her mighty men, and they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So when the Lord does battle against his enemies, this, he speaks about this perpetual sleep through Jeremiah. That, that's got to be what we, we see the writer here referring to, this perpetual sleep or death. Death. No, no longer able to do anything. And then verse 6, At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. 
there certainly is an allusion there to God bringing his people from Egypt across the Red Sea on dry land as he parted the waters, allowing them to cross all the way. And then the Egyptian army decides, well, we're going to chase them down. And they enter in to the Red Sea, and then the Lord lets the water go, and they're drowned. The army is drowned. Certainly a reference to that. Exodus 15.1, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke. We know this as the song of Moses, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now the chapter before this, in chapter 14 of Exodus, the people were crying out, did you just bring us out here, Moses, to, to die here? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt or what? You know, oy vey. You know, as, they, as they cried out, and, and Moses told them, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. Or, as David would write a few years later, be still and see that I am God and know that I am God. You just have to watch him. So many times Pastor Chuck Smith would say something along these lines and whenever just talking about what the Lord has done with Calvary Chapel and so forth. He, he said he felt like he was just a, uh, um, somebody watching watching God at work, you know, just off on the sidelines, you know. Um, just amazing to see what God has done. Uh, be still and know that I'm God. Just let him do his work. You know, of, of course we, we seek him. We, we, as he gives us direction, we obey him. We follow what the word of God has to say. It's not like we're idle. But in terms of doing what only God can do, we can't do it. Only God can do it. And so, be still and know that he's God. Um, for he has triumphed gloriously, the people of Israel sang out after, after he had brought them through and destroyed the Egyptian army. Zechariah 12.4 says, In that day, this is prophetic of the future, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the people's with blindness in reference to that war of Armageddon that is going to be taking place, the battle of Armageddon. Verses 7 to 9. You yourself are to be feared. Now we see the writer speaking of how God is to be feared and revered by others, by not just simply his people, but by all. You are to be feared, and who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Selah. To deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Now, that didn't take place when God delivered uh, Israel from, uh, or Judah, I should say, from the hand of Sennacherib. But it is going to take place in the future. All the oppressed of the earth 
will certainly be delivered. You are to be feared. You're to be reverence. You are to be uh, feared for who you are. And, and we talked about his, the, 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 the majesty of his glory. That is why. Simply because of who he is. Uh, Nahum 1.6 wrote this. Who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Psalm 46.6, referring to the same psalm once again that David wrote that we looked at earlier. Verse 6, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. The earth feared and was still. The earth melted. When God is at work, that's what happens. In verse 9, we see about the deliverance of all the oppressed of the earth. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, this is right after Jesus comes to Nazareth after he'd been tempted for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. This is the very next passage in the book of Luke. In verse, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Let's remember that each synagogue, it had been determined that, that which, which uh, passage of Scripture would be used in every synagogue in Israel. And so it wasn't like Jesus said, hand me Isaiah, I think I want to share out of that one today. That was prescribed as part of the liturgy with uh, Judaism of that time. And so they handed him the book of Isaiah because that's where the reading for that day was going to come from. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That, of course, is out of Isaiah chapter 61, the first verse and a half. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 9 in Psalm 76. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Selah. See, God is going to be doing his battle. He's working against those who are oppressing the weak and the needy. Those with no power being oppressed simply because their oppressors can oppress them. Oppression has been going on in the world for centuries and centuries, for millennia and millennia. It's been taking place. But Jesus will deliver. He's the only one who can and he will.
He delivered us from the oppression of sin, didn't he? That's the main thing, the, the, the most powerful thing, the, the, the most oppressive thing that Jesus deals with for us. He delivers us from our sin. But he also has a heart to save those, to deliver those who are oppressed by other men. Chapters, uh, uh, excuse me, verses 10 through 12, as we close. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, with the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are, who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. That tenth verse Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The idea here is that the wrath of man is going to be defeated by God himself. And the wrath of man having idea of the power that man has to be able to oppress others and to pour out their own wrath on others. Well, God is going to have his way and overcome them. Psalm 76, verse 10, excuse me, I just read that, uh, uh, the, the idea of the, well, well, in the Amplified Version, I want to just read a diff different version of this, in the Amplified Version. It reads, surely the wrath of man shall praise you, the remainder of wrath shall, be, shall you restrain and gird and arm yourself with it. All of the wrath of man isn't expended on his pouring out wrath on people or on nations. But whatever is left is going to be overcome by God and, and, and what is going to be his, he's going to, re, he's going to restrain it and then he's going to be armed with it himself as it becomes, uh, I mean, nothing really can be added to God, but it's kind of swallowed up by him. It's the idea behind that. But... It's just this idea that the wrath of man will be overcome by God. And men who are oppressing others and have this power, they are going to be bowing down to God in his power, in his authority, in his sovereignty. That's the idea be behind that. And we see in verses 11 and 12 about making vows and so forth. These are words that are directed to the people of God the people of Judah in particular. Worship him. Bring him your offerings. Bring him your gifts. Um, bring him your sacrifices. Um, he is going... I mean, he, he, he has shown his power. He has shown his love for you. He has shown his protection over you. He has delivered you. Worship him. That's what we see here, worship him. But guys, isn't it true, though? We don't, we don't simply, we don't worship him because of what he's done. We thank him, praise him for what he's done, but we worship him just simply for who he is. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He's already done enough in saving us from our sin, hasn't he? And isn't it true that even if he never does anything that we could call good beyond that, 
He's done enough to be worthy of our praises and our worship. But we worship him for who he is. We praise him. We thank him for the things that he's done, for his works. And so we bow before him. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. In other words, in his power and authority, they are going to bow before him. Basically is what is meant there. Revelation 19, verses 16 to 18. This is Jesus coming at the end of the thousand-year period of uh, his... Uh, um, at the end of the... Actually, yeah, at the end of the millennial... No, no, excuse me. Revelation 19 is when he has his victory and his kingdom is going to be set up at the end of the seven-year period, the tribulational period. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, that's the idea of this 12th verse here in Psalm 76. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Any other king, any other princes, any other lords are going to bow to him. And then John writes, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the, the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. The Battle of Armageddon, a lot of destruction. And we see here that John cites that an, that, that an angel cr uh, calls for the birds to come to eat the flesh before it rots. That's going to be destroyed. And of course, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Paul writings says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess there are no men, regardless of how powerful they may think they, they are, and they may have exerted a lot of power over other men. They may have brought a lot of oppression to the lives of helpless and weak people. It's, like I said before, it's been happening for thousands of years. And there are some like Nebuchadnezzar who at one time said, well, even in that story that we talked about earlier with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before that, as they are resisting, worshiping this idol that he had set up, uh, he asks them, you know, he tells them, you know, if you don't do this, I am going to throw you into the, into the furnace. You're going to be crispy critters yourself. Who's going to deliver you? Who's the God who's going to deliver you from my hand? Right? Well, 
God showed him. And then subsequently humbled him as he basically made him like a wild beast for seven years. Then he came to his senses. And what did he do? He bowed his knee to the God of Israel, to the one and true living God. Just a story to show that it doesn't matter how, how powerful a man or a group of men can be, all will bow to Jesus Christ. And we want to bow for him, before him. We bow before him tonight, and we're going to thank him tonight, too, for what he's done for us. We're going to partake of communion in just a moment. I'd like to pray before we do, and then Carlos is going to go ahead and, and pass out the, uh, the elements. Father, we do pray that you have your way with us. Even as we see your power and your might as described in this passage here in Psalm 76, the glories of who you are, we pray, God, that you would do your work in us, do your work for us, beyond that great work that you've done, but that is the one that we want to honor you for tonight and thank you for. The work, Lord Jesus, that you did on that cross in delivering us from sin. And so, Lord, have your way as we partake tonight as we honor you tonight, as we remember you tonight, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to be sharing out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, as I normally do. The Apostle Paul writing, writes, For I, do, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and, be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. we are going to be remembering what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Jesus said that as often, for as often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of him. To remember what he did. And of course, along with that goes remembering why he did it only way we can find hope. Only way we can find life. 
through his sacrifice for us. Paul writes something interesting here in this 26th verse. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In those words, we look back to the reason that he came the first time. To take away the sins of the world. To go to that cross. And it is a reference to the fact that he is going to come back. And we read a couple of verses that speak about that a bit a little while ago. But his first coming, remembering as we look forward to his second coming. And we, and we say like John writes, at the end of the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until he does, we're going to remember his work on that cross. Let's take a moment. Let's just uh, pray to the Lord, seek him in our own hearts to thank him and to remember. And then I will pray and we'll partake together. Just take a moment. Jesus, we, uh, we do thank you Lord when we consider when we think about the reality that as you were about to go to that cross the, the, the night before you were crucified when you went to that garden you prayed you spoke to your father our father and you said to him, Father, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. But your will be done, not my own. Lord, what an incredibly difficult, impossible situation for you. And yet, as we read in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the pain. You endured the pain of the cross. You had your eyes on the future. You had your eyes on us, those of us that you were purchasing for yourself. to spend eternity with. Oh, Lord, thank you. And so, God, we ask that you just bless 
our souls, our hearts as we partake of this bread and this cup. Knowing what they symbolize. Remembering your expression of love toward us. And the great sacrifice that you made as the very Lamb of God. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Now bless this bread and this cup to nourish our very souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and partake. Amen. Let's all stand together, gang. Martha, did you have a final song that you wanted to lead us in? There's one? Okay. I thought you did. Martha stepped up tonight to do this on her own. She's never done this before. And she's been quite nervous about it. I encouraged her before I told her, I said, you'll, you'll do great. You know the words and everything, you'll do great. And isn't it great to have her leading us tonight? And thank you, Martha. We really appreciate you stepping up and, and doing this. She's so going to lead us in one last song, and then we'll be dismissed. You guys have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll see you guys next time we're together. God bless you guys. Thank you, Martha.